Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Rahm Emanuel closed 50 schools, 50 of them. And before that, Paul Vallis ushered in this era of privatization. These two things have made it impossible for neighbors on the South side, neighbors and families on the West side to have an option that is fully resourced. Now that has been the work of our union and our movement, and it will persist in the same way that it has always persisted. It is unjust, it is inequitable, it is inhumane, and we are working to ameliorate it. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, whose millions of dollars in campaign contributions and hundreds of foot soldiers, along with the CTU-affiliated United Working Families, helped to elect one of their own former union organizer, Brandon Johnson, a former teacher. Stacey Davis-Gates, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Fran, for having me. I imagine you're feeling pretty good about now, about your formidable political accomplishment here in electing Brandon Johnson. How do you think the new mayor is doing after more than four months in office? I think our mayor is doing a remarkable job um, under the worst type of circumstances. Um, His rise to the fifth floor um, involved, you know, this coalition effort um, across the city with people who are tired of austerity, um, of the marginalization of the public good, and getting with our mayor now as someone um, whose administration is working with um, people. You see Bring Chicago Home, um, Treatment Not Trauma, um, and One Fair Wage all in one week. That is um, a remarkable turn of events. But some of this stuff is going a little slower. For example, the Bring Chicago Home, they had to do a binding referendum route because the General Assembly wouldn't go along with it. And that will be in March. So it'll be a while before that tax is ever on the books. It won't be part of this budget. Treatment, not trauma, is going to be studied by a working group. He's likely not going to and be under pressure either to reopen any of the mental health clinics in this first budget. Are you are you satisfied with the pace of things? Do you understand the go slow approach? 
I don't think it's a go slow approach, though. Um, I actually think that the way in which people are covering this is wrong. I don't think it's slow at all. I think it's an assessment that um, the governments that have been led before us have basically stripped um, the city of all of its valuable parts. Um, So we talk about a migrant crisis. Um, in the wrong way, because it's really a housing crisis. Um, When you have mayors that have um, destroyed public housing and made affordable housing unavailable, and when people need housing and it's not there, it's not going to be easily remedied in um, four months. Um, The wholesale destruction of the public good in the city um, was in the making for generations. And now you put that up against four months. I think it's pretty unfair, quite frankly, um, to believe that um, the mayor of Chicago is a magician. Well, and of course, this migrant crisis. I mean, when you think about seven buses a day. And it's going to ramp up even further as we get closer to the Democratic convention, as Republican leaders try to embarrass Chicago and look, make us look what you don't. Well, I don't think Republican leaders are trying to embarrass. I think Republican leaders are breaking the law. They're trafficking human beings. The entire narrative on what we are experiencing in Chicago, what we are experiencing in New York, what we are experiencing in Denver or in El Paso, people are talking about people being the crisis. People are not the crisis. People are um, in need of support and resources. The crisis is the inhumanity of GOP leaders who believe that they can traffic families from city to city in Chicago and New York and Denver. The the crisis is a crisis of foreign policy. The crisis is the crisis that we don't have comprehensive immigration policy. That's the crisis. And I think we have okay, to name that. Okay, but our crisis here in Chicago is the hundreds of millions of dollars that this is costing with no end in sight. The mayor is in a desperate attempt to get people out of the police stations, off the floors of police stations and O'Hare and Midway airports is planning to open these winterized base camps, these giant tent cities by, by the time the cold weather hits. What do you think of how he is doing handling this very costly and unbelievable crisis? I think he's doing what no other political leader in this country is doing right now. He is behaving with empathy and leadership. He is making solutions out of impossible circumstances and with very little help from any other political or governmental entity. And I have to believe that you might be a critic if the proposal for winterized base camps were coming from a Rahm Emanuel. Do you have any concerns about these winterized base camps and this company, Garter World, that was chosen to put them up? I would be a critic of Rahm Emanuel because he was the head of CHA when they decided to tear down public housing in this city. I've been no, a critic was, that, of that Rahm Emanuel. That was Rich Daly. No, that was Richard well, M. Daly. No, no, no. Richard M. Daly was the mayor 
And uh, the former mayor, Rahm Emanuel, was the head of the CHA, was on the CHA board at that time. Oh, so I this see. was yeah yeah yeah. So the dynamic duo there is what ameliorated the housing that is necessary in this moment to meet the needs of people who need them. So see, the impact is what our good mayor is dealing with in this moment. So the criticism is still in the right place on leadership that robbed this city of the public accommodation. And so what we are left with is a vehicle that has been stripped of all of its parts. And that vehicle is needed for those who are coming for sanctuary in this city. And quite frankly, for those who have been deprived of sanctuary in the city for generations. This is so a collision. Saying, Hold on for saying, a second, Fran. Hold on for a second. Okay. This is a collision. This is a collision of every policy that we have been critical of up until this point. And what we have now in leadership is someone who is working with the community, who does have a host of decisions that are less than ideal and is working with people to make it work, working with his city council, working so with community organizations, if, 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 working if with CA labor. Could, if the high rises, if the CHA high rises were still up, you're saying they would be used for migrants and should be used for migrants. And because we don't have them, that we have no choice but to do these winterized base camps. Is that what, what you're I'm saying? saying? I am saying that currently we have about 20,000 families in the Chicago public schools that are without permanent housing. I am saying if those people have permanent housing, right? If we had public housing and affordable housing available, then maybe we would have a shelter system available to the mm -hmm. asylum seekers to house them. As it is now, our shelter system is overtaxed with people who would have ordinarily been living in public housing or in okay. affordable housing. Got it. I got, I got that. So do you have any misgivings about these winterized base camps? And the company a, that's going to be putting them up. I have a lot of misgivings about everything we're experiencing in this moment, Fran. Again, these circumstances are clearly less than ideal. We are dealing with a contradiction, um, a dilemma in which we have less than what we deserve, less than what we need and more people who need more. Again, this is the union that went on strike in 2019 for housing. This is the same union that was ridiculed for telling people that we were going to bargain housing. So yes, we understand and have understood for quite some time the dire needs of people who are already in the city. Now you put other people on top of those people that need and you have the current state of affairs. So this idea that a man who got here yesterday has the answers to a decades long devaluation of both humanity and services can solve them in four seconds I think that's a less than ideal evaluation of his leadership. What I would hope we would do 
is say, how do we rebuild the public accommodation? How do we rebuild public housing in this city? How do we invite those who have been seeking asylum for some time in this city to participate with those who are currently seeking um, asylum in this city and provide housing, provide um, health care, provide public education to those individuals. That's the work that's going to like take us forward. In the meantime, you have people getting off of buses who need shelter and you got to supply the shelter. And quite frankly, the police stations are insufficient for that. Of course. What exactly is your relationship with Brandon Johnson now that he's in the mayor's office? How often do you talk on the phone? How often do you meet with him? Friend, it's too funny. Brandon Johnson is my brother. He's my friend. Um, We talk about his children and my children. We talk about our families um, and we're friends. Well, but don't you talk about any issues in policy? Well, Brandon Johnson is now the boss of the Chicago Public Schools. So, of course, we talk to the boss. In fact, what I would say Um, has been the most uh, transformative and beneficial um, instant impact of its leadership is that um, our members now have parental leave, that we do not have to use sick days in order to have babies. Um, I exhausted all of my sick days um, with my first pregnancy. Um, I wasn't sick. I I had a baby. Um, So that's been a benefit. On the first day of school, the Chicago Teachers Union with the Chicago Public Schools with SEIU 73 rang in the first day of school at Byler Elementary School on the west side of Chicago, a sustainable community school that the Chicago Teachers Union bargained for when Mayor Johnson was an organizer at the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, Just earlier this, this week, I think it was Monday, Um, I was at Southside Occupational High School um, with the mayor, his team, and Pedro and his team. And it was a wonderful tour of a facility that's doing remarkable things with our young people. We are being invited in. And the function of being invited in as a partner means that we don't hear no first and that roadblocks are are not erected as the first move. Now, there's still going to be struggle, Fran. Again, 50 schools were closed in 2013. Privatized options appeared across the street from the public school option. There have been a lot of mismanagement, bad ideas, um, foolish policy implemented. And we we have to work through the impacts of those things. But our contract campaign is coming up and that gives us an opportunity um, to organize with Chicago to build the school Chicago students deserve. Yeah, the contract expires in June, just after the end of the school year. What is on the table this time? What are your demands And will a deal come down to the wire? The deal is going to be with the families that need Chicago public schools. The deal is not simply going to be with the mayor of Chicago or with the CEO of Chicago public schools. 
the type of transformation we deserve in this city has to be transformation that is anchored in communities with families. And so the Chicago Teachers Union, along with all of our allies, with the parents we serve and with the students we serve, we're going to have collective discussions and collaboration with the community. Um, we also have the occasion of the 10-year facilities master plan that's going to um, be released today at the Board of Education. And we are going to have some pretty strong demands for loving and liberatory school communities that offer um, a full complement of classes, that offer extracurricular and co-curricular activities for young people. We want joyful places that are just not sending our kids to college, but also sending our kids into the workforce um, with the skill that they can immediately benefit from. We are going what are to your build demands out a for your members. What are your demands by way of pay raise and benefits for your members? No, friend, you know that we negotiate for the entirety of community. Our work has never just been about wages and benefits. In fact, our work has been about um, winning 20 sustainable school communities in the city. We want to expand the footprint of sustainable community schools, meaning Byler Elementary School on the west side of Chicago was on the school closings list in 2013. In 2016, we bargained for that school to be a sustainable community school. Not only is that school not on a closing list anymore, that school is a place where families want to take their children, where children are having joyful experiences and where staff and faculty are working hand in hand with administration. We want to bargain more of those environments. We want an elementary school day um, that provides our members with an opportunity to collaborate and convene with each other to offer our students the best. We want a special education program um, that prioritizes the needs of our children. In fact, by and large, our special education program is anchored by black boys. We have an overabundance of black male students in special education. What does that say to what type of leadership we need for um, that department? What does that say for the type of work and workers we'll need to have in that space? And what does that say for the type of programming that will be necessary in that space? There are schools in this city that do not have enough staffing. We have to ameliorate that need. With our newcomers um, arriving in the city, it means that some of them are in schools on the south and the west side of Chicago that do not have any bilingual um, support staff there. We have to fix that as well. We have a lot to do, and we're not just going to do it in the back room with Mayor Johnson. On the contrary, we are going to do it with the city of Chicago. Fran, you don't get a middle school teacher who is an organizer in labor, an organizer in the community, elected on the fifth floor in back rooms. You do that in collaboration and coalition and in partnership with the city. The mayor did surprise some people by keeping Jim Franzik as the city's chief labor negotiator at the request of the FOP. He's trying to uh, uh, wrap up some unresolved issues on the police contract and possibly negotiate a new one. That was a surprise, of course, because Franzik was on this show before the election and all but endorsed Paul Vallis over Brandon Johnson, citing what he called the conflict of interest that he had 
because of his ties to the teachers union. Will Jim Franzik be negotiating the new teachers contract using the institutional knowledge that he has gleaned from negotiating the last eight teachers contracts or should the mayor and will the mayor choose someone new? We negotiated one of the best contracts in the history of our union in 2019, and Jim Franzik was at that table, and so was I. We intend to extend on the infrastructure that we built in 2019 to offer smaller class sizes, to make sure that a nurse and a social worker is in every school community um, throughout this city. Again, Jim Franzik was at that table with us. This is a give and take situation um, and collective bargaining. But even Jim Franzik is not more important or more powerful than the families in this city. And the, the terms of this contract will be debated inside of neighborhoods in this city, not just at a negotiating table with. So um, you have a no problem with him. You have no problem with him. We've never had a problem. And let me be clear, Fran, our perspective on negotiating is one that is grounded and rooted in the common good. That's not about a labor lawyer. That is about the people who need the common good. Our contract, uh, the perspective that we bring into a contract campaign is the word transformation, is the word organizing. And when we bring that perspective in, it marginalizes the foolery at the table and it takes our needs, it takes our um, demands and proposals to the people of the city. Remember, our proposals, every proposal that we've put forth since Karen Lewis negotiated the first you know, monumental contract in 2012, that perspective has been rooted and grounded in proposals that we've created within our union, within our school communities, within our larger communities, and with our community allies and the families we serve. That is our perspective. A what, if anything, though, does this mayor owe you because he would not be the mayor without you? I don't understand how someone who was a part of a movement, how someone who co-led this movement and built this movement with us owes us anything. You don't think he does? Okay. Again, we don't operate from the perspective of quid pro quo. We operate from the perspective of collaboration, coalition, and movement. And that is very different from quid pro quo. That is a commitment to the struggle for justice and equity. That is a commitment to the community and the love and the joy that it will take to bring forth a Chicago that is rooted and grounded in the many and not the few. What are the chances, do you think, that the new Chinatown High School comes to pass? And do you support that project, especially given the cr critics and the criticism you've made uh, that you've recently made about high school options for Southside families and justifying the Catholic education for your own son? There CPS is enrollment here. allegedly held steady, but the high schools around this site all dropped. So here's the thing, Fran. Since 2010, this union has been on its soapbox telling Chicago that we need to do this a better way. And so in 2011, we were able to um, be a part of a coalition that passed um, a bill that 
um, makes the school district accountable for a 10-year master's facilities plan. That 10 years is right now. What does that mean? It means that there has to be an evaluation of the types of facilities that we have now, the shape that they're in, and what's necessary. And it has to create priority. It has to create a timeline. That's the process we're in now. For so long, we have operated off of a mentality of where we get to fight for crumbs and that we don't have vision and that we don't have leadership. We have vision and leadership in Mayor Johnson. We have vision and leadership in his uh, perspective of movement, coalition, and collaboration. So I expect this 10-year facilities master planning process to not just include the Chinatown High School, but also include um, an analysis of our building stock. Um, I think the average age of our buildings in Chicago are 83 years old. I think that the experience we just had during the first week of school where we were absorbing ungodly temperatures inside of our school communities, all of those impacts are coming to a head. And we have a leader with vision and we have the occasion of a 10-year facilities master plan. That master plan should be able to see every neighborhood in this city. It should be able to see the needs of those who are in those school communities and put forth an idea of how we do that equitably. So do you support the Chinatown High School? Let's talk specifically about that one. Do you think we I don't need want it? to talk about it? Should we spend that money? Again, Fran, that's too narrow and small for the type of transformation my union is helping to lead. We want a master plan that sees the Chinatown High School and also sees Washington High School in the 10th Ward and the elementary school just steps away from it where the roof was collapsing, right? We want to see both things and we want to see them equitably. We want to see Nash Elementary School on the west side of Chicago that needs an upgrade. You talk about average age of buildings, that one ticks the average age way up. We have to see the fullness of the needs of the district and then overlay that with this uh, promise of equity and justice. And then, then the answers come forth. And then I dare any entity to argue with those answers and priorities for that matter. The core faction of the CTU uh, that you come from has been at war with City Hall since 2010. What is the relationship with the mayor like now? What has it meant for the schools and, and who is the bad guy now? What is this, you know, did, that was the driving force, the anger towards the mayor, the fight against the mayor. Who's the bad guy now? So the driving force has always been in equity and injustice that black and brown students and their families experience in this city. And that injustice did not roll away on April 4th. We just got another gladiator in the place of power. So I want to set the stakes there. There's no magic wand that ameliorates hundreds of years of oppression and, and, and in this city and in this country. There's no magic wand for that. Right. So that's why this is about a co-struggle. We are going to struggle with the leadership of this city in order to build the city we deserve. So that's one. I think in number two, um, what we know today um, for a fact 
is that leading a city off of the perspective of austerity has harmed our city and what it is supposed to provide for the residents that live here and the asylum seekers that are coming here. And so our work in this moment is not just to name um, who the enemy is. And the enemy, quite frankly, is anyone who does not want to contribute to the public good, the public accommodation, and to the people who need it. That's the enemy. So perhaps that is the GOP. Or perhaps that is the wealthy corporations that do not want to pay their fair share, right? And it's plenty of those there, right? You you literally have people being trafficked on buses, on airplanes, coming into our city, and they need more. But who's sending them here? And what policies are precipitating this rush to Chicago? We have to evaluate the, the circumstances of that and name the bad actors there as well. Our schools also become a microcosm of the larger dynamics that are happening in this city. So when buses come in, they have young people on them and those young people need an education. And so those young people come into our school communities. Now they're coming into school communities with other young people, remember 20,000 that do not have housing. And so they're on top of those who have been here already. We don't just have a migrant crisis because I don't believe people are a crisis. We have a crisis that austerity created and it's leadership of your. So what we're going to be pushing for and organizing in this city is an idea that rich people still need to pay their fair share. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the mayor promised to bankroll a billion dollars in investments in people, that's education, mental health, transportation, all the housing, all these things, with $800 million worth of new and increased taxes on businesses and wealthy Chicagoans. But he's facing very serious headwinds from the business community about the employee head tax, raising the hotel tax, imposing a tax on jet fuel. The financial community and Governor Pritzker are opposed to a financial transaction tax. The real estate industry is lining up against the the uh, real estate trans- transaction tax on high-end home sales. How many of these tax increases, if any, will he seek in this first budget and will he get? That's the wrong question, Fran. The question is, how many people do we want to see living on the street in the city of Chicago? The question is, how many young people do we want in school communities that are not being served by a teacher or a teacher's assistant or a school assistant? The question is how many people who are already here have to continue to be deprived of the basics of housing and schooling. See, the question is not about who gets to pay. It's about who's harmed if we don't figure out who does pay. Who should, what taxes should he seek right away? What taxes should he seek right away? I believe we're working on bringing Chicago home. Oh, right, right. That one I said is delayed because of the referendum. But what about these other taxes that the business community has lined up to oppose? The jet fuel tax, the head tax, the financial transaction tax, the hotel tax. It's easy to be a no, believe me. It's much harder to be a yes and to sit at a table and figure out a more complex dilemma of Chicago in the years of austerity, right? 
So while you're asking me about the specifics of which tax, what I would say is how many of those individuals want to sit at a table with labor leaders, with families um, who have been homeless, with families who are currently unhoused, with families that are seeking asylum? How many of those people want to sit at a table with us and figure out how we do this collectively? That's the perspective that I believe our mayor is trying to lead, not about what we take from you, but about how we work together to ameliorate the lack of resources and to deal head on with the crisis that are in front of us. It's not just a migrant crisis, it's also a climate crisis. So how, how is are he we going dealing? to Hold overcome on for a second. Hold on. Hold the business second, opposition France. to these taxes. How is he going to get what he needs how to the deliver these global investments? Listen, well, listen to me. How is the business class going to work with us to figure out how in a city of plenty we can make sure everyone has enough? I think that's the question that's being posed in Chicago. And I think it's going to take a while for people to catch that cadence because for so long, our political leadership has made this a game of winners and losers, right? What the mayor of Chicago is saying is that everyone gets to win because there is enough for everyone to win. So he is compelling all of us to work together to figure that out, right? You see what happens if he doesn't get these taxes? What happens if people don't have housing? What happens when young people don't have staffing? Those are the questions. It's not about the taxes. It's about the resource, the service, and the direct impact and benefit, I might add, of that service. And we are all being compelled to come together and figure it out. So I, for one, my union for two, we want to participate in a convening that helps us recognize the humanity of our people who have been here for generations and the people who are seeking asylum here. And that's not just a progressive idea. That's a humane idea. And I'm quite sure our counterparts in the business community recognize the urgency of that and will sit with us and figure it out. The mayor fired Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwitty, who led Chicago through the pandemic. She didn't even get a chance to meet with the mayor or say goodbye to her staff. She was called in by the chief of staff, Rich Guidas, on a Friday afternoon and told that was it. You famously clashed with Dr. Arwitty during the pandemic over her desire to resume in-person education sooner than you believed was safe with fewer protections. Did the mayor do your bidding and the CTU's bidding by getting rid of Dr. <laughs> Arwitty? That is so funny and, uh, and like a, a telenovela script. Um, so uh, there were a lot of questions in there. Question number one, um, I never clashed with Dr. Arwitty. You know, I don't even remember being in a meeting with Dr. Arwitty, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I remember clashing with her boss. Um, so that's one. Um, number two, I find it um, almost ridiculous that anyone in a political administration believes that they can keep a job when that political leadership changes. Um, where do they do that? Because I've never seen that done. Um, I don't, how many people did Biden keep in his cabinet from the Trump administration? Do you know? Uh, not many, not any. I don't know. 
I don't know, but but so I do why, have to hold say, on, hold on. So, Lori so why would kept that... a ton of people from Rom? Rom kept some people from Daily. It happens. It does, it does happen, happen, and I believe, and I believe the mayor has kept people from other administrations as well. Right. So I assume I, the question is: Did he do your bidding by getting rid of her? How yes can you no? do my bidding? She didn't work for me. And she didn't okay, work against you, me. You didn't shed any tears. When she, hold when on, she hold left, on, Fran. Let, let me be clear, Fran. Let me answer your question. Our bidding was never with one of the workers in Mayor Lightfoot's administration. Our bidding was with Mayor Lightfoot and our movement to care of that one. We have a new mayor. Okay. So you did not ask him to get rid of her and you didn't dance on her grave when she was gone. Yeah, I'm not petty like that. You took some heat recently for choosing to send your son to a private high school. It was a tough decision and a controversial one for you, considering your role as CTU president. Why didn't you find the best possible CPS alternative for your son to avoid criticism and stay consistent with your previously stated views about supporting the schools and so on? Fran, I am a mother and I do not discuss the decisions that I make inside of my household with my household with people who do not live in my household. Now, if you want to talk to me about the 92% of my neighbors and my zip code who send their children outside of our neighborhood to school, I am happy to talk about, as I have for quite some time now, the inequity and resources in schools south of Roosevelt Road. I believe it was the mayor in the 2012 strike that talked about the lack of libraries and librarians on the south side and the west side of our schools um, and our schools, right? And that has not been ameliorated yet. On top of that, it has taken um, two strikes in the Chicago public schools to even get to the point of where we have a nurse and a social worker there. So the struggle that my household experienced is not unlike the struggle households throughout the city experience with particular emphasis on the south side and the west side of Chicago. Rahm Emanuel closed 50 schools, 50 of them. And before that, Paul Vallis ushered in this era of privatization. These two things have made it impossible for neighbors on the south side, neighbors and families on the west side to have an option that is fully resourced. Now, that has been the work of our union and our movement, and it will persist in the same way that it has always persisted. It is unjust. It is inequitable. It is inhumane. And we are working to ameliorate it. What happens when the school closing moratorium ends? What about all these half empty, empty and more than half empty schools? Well, what we are seeing now is that when you foreclose on the public accommodation, then when people need it, you don't have it. Again, this idea that you can keep robbing the public school, public housing um, of resources, it means that you are setting yourself up for um, a crisis. And we're living that right now with people who need two things, housing and schools. Before we let you go, do you ever foresee yourself 
in a position of leadership at CPS or running for elected office like your friend Brandon Johnson? Friend, I have the best job in the world right now, a place where we are reimagining how you create opportunity and equity for people in perhaps one of the most segregated spaces in the entire world. Do you understand the level of privilege and humility that I live in with this leadership opportunity that I have before me? We often only focus on our brother Brandon, the mayor of Chicago, but I would also turn your attention to Congresswoman Delia Ramirez, who is fighting right now for us in Washington, D.C., or Carlos Rosa Ramirez, who is the floor leader in city council, or Jesse Fuentes, who's leading One Fair Wage through the city council, or Will Hall, that is making sure um, that clergy and public accommodations are one and the same. Look, we are building a movement of leaders from the neighborhood to city hall to city council to Lakeisha Collins in the state senate or Tara Stamps at the county board. This so is no, powerful. You, you, you don't envision yourself ever running for elected office or running the CPS or being involved in a leadership position there? No. Why would I want to do anything else than what I'm doing right now? The level of transformation that our union, our UWF, our movement is doing in this moment is unparalleled by anything else happening in this country and perhaps internationally. I think it's a pretty powerful, um, happy position that I sit in right now. Stacey Davis-Gates, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the struggle. Good luck with the contract talks, which I assume haven't started yet. Well, we've to. already landed uh, parental leave. We've already landed. Right, but have you, have you started talking teachers? turkey on the contract yet? No? We've started talking turkey with our members. You know our process, Fran. We, we yeah. talk to our okay. members. We talk, yeah. So um, we are with, going. Not, not with CPS yet. Okay. Nah, All right. Thank you so much. And we will see you all next week. Thank you.